We're here to talk about your new play, which once again, Sarah Gemitter, it seems like you are just stuck in the early 19th century. I know. And listen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 843, Charlotte Bronte's Villette. It's a very Bronte winter here in Chicago. Chicago Shakespeare is presenting a British production of Emily Bronte's Wuthering Heights, while Looking Glass Theatre is producing the world premiere adaptation of Charlotte Bronte's novel, Villette, written by Looking Glass Artistic Associate Sarah Gemitter. Sarah also wrote In the Garden, a Darwinian love story, the world premiere of which Looking Glass also produced, and which I was privileged to be in, so it was huge fun to talk to Sarah last week about how her adaptation of Charlotte Bronte's Villette came to be, and why I, and possibly you, have never heard of it. I love Victorian novels. I don't love, you know, Victorian life and Victorian politics and all of that beeswax. But I love the language of them. And and I and this one I put partially on Looking Glass, who also has a fondness for Victorian things, because back when in the garden was in rehearsals or we just finished, we just opened and there was like an opportunity for like artistic development and looking glass, you know, was like submit proposals to, you know, for a script to develop. And I gave them four options. Only one of them was a Victorian was said in Victorian times. And that's the one that they chose. So this one I'm, I'm putting on them, but my, for my next play, should it ever see the light of day? It will be very, very different, very purposefully, very different. Well, thank you for that tease. Um, <laughs> um, but at least at least you're not adapting Jane Austen for the millionth bazillionth time. What is well, and not, I'm not even adapting Jane Eyre for the millionth bajillionth time. Uh, yes, yes, a hundred percent. Yeah. So tell me about Villette and uh, and and which Bronte wrote it? So this is Charlotte Bronte. So Charlotte Bronte wrote Jane Eyre um, and uh, Agnes Gray. And Villette is her final novel. I would say it is her most mature and psychologically complex novel. And, and I'm not alone. There's a whole like little sisterhood on book YouTube of people who are like, Villette is better than Jane Eyre. People got to wake up and see it. Um, it is, it's the novel that she wrote after basically her whole family had died, you know, all of her, right. her sisters and her brother, like her, her family had passed away. And so it's it's written from the perspective of someone who is very familiar with loss and not just like a single loss, but a lot of loss. And 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 she explores some really, really deep things that I think a, a modern audience would fully recognize as like, oh, she's talking about depression. Before there was a diagnosis for that, before she had that word to reference, she is very perfectly describing and, you know, the character is describing an experience that you sense that Charlotte Bronte is describing from her experience. Right. It's so recognizable. You're like, oh, my God, there she's finding words for a thing there literally wasn't a word for. 
what is your elevator pitch for the story? It, uh, uh, psychologically complex being one value. Mm-hmm. What's the other? What's the other? Is this a is this a rom com? A nineteenth century rom com? It has romance in it nice. for sure. So there there is romance, but this story does not go expected places. If you're coming for Jane Eyre, you're not getting Jane Eyre. There's no mad woman in an act. There is, there's specifically a line in the play about how there is no mad woman in an act <laughs> in this play. Um, it's a very personal story. And, and um, who knew Charlotte Bronte funny. Mm. Mm. Lucy Snow, this this main character who is our our Charlotte, you know, who is Charlotte Bronte's kind of stand in in the story, very funny in a specific kind of dry, deadpan kind of way. Like that, she's the person who makes jokes in her head for herself, not expecting anyone to hear or laugh at them. And if you do hear and laugh at them, that's like a mark of your own. Uh, of 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 your cleverness and intelligence that you get it. That's right. That's I I love that way of phrasing. Speaking as someone who often says things that are funny to me and many others. <laughs> well, oh, and yeah, I, too. that's my sense of humor. I will like slide in slide in a joke on the sly. If other people get it, great. I, that was for me. Well, and the reason I asked about genre expectations is because I interviewed Jasper Ford, who, of course, wrote *The Air Affair*. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. and and he described uh, the Brontes as basically the early nineteenth-century Victorian versions of Stephen King. These Bronte and 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 Jane Austen were writing these horror novels about the the terrifying things that happen when your male support dies and you are forced to live in devon <laughs> yeah well well when you're on your own that's very much like lucy snow story is she has nothing she has none of like the social supports and she doesn't even have like she's not pretty she can't trade on she can't trade on that to kind of draw um assistance to her she really is on her own um and she's got to make her way in the world and and it is a novel it's different from a a lot of things that you might be expecting like everybody has a job (laughs) in this story you know people are working people are making their way in the world and like figuring out how to get from one day to the next but it's not i feel like it's not depressing it's it's like, yeah, I get it. I know what that's like. You're, you know, finding what the next job is and finding like, what's the next step I could maybe go to get out of the nursery and into a classroom instead. Um, and, and is is Lucy Snow like David Copperfield, the hero of her own story? She is the hero of her own story, but she's very, she's a very particular kind of hero it's a so the novel is told in the first person and but but lucy is not the kind of storyteller who's like let me lay it all out for you she is like prickly and she tells you flat out i'm not going to tell you some things some things she's like you imagine that part i'm not going to talk about it and other things she doesn't tell you until 10 chapters later She'll say, you remember that thing that happened 10 chapters ago? Well, what was really happening was this. Now I feel like telling you. And so that's that's part of the quality that I really wanted to bring into the play, because 
I think the in the novel, the relationship between Lucy as the storyteller and the reader is, I think, the most important relationship in the novel. And that's also how I want the play to feel, that the relationship between Lucy as your guide through her story and the people that she's telling you the story for a reason. Um, it's not just like, welcome to Storyteller Theater. This is what I've got for you. You know what I mean? Like she has an agenda. She has wants from you and for you as an audience. Well, and a fourth wall breaking relationship with. Oh, absolutely. Audience. Absolutely. So it and sounds it sounds like it's it's a natural for a theatrical adaptation. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I guess I'm surprised that it's never I, I've never heard of it before. Well, I mean, there are those who would say it's on purpose that you've never heard of it before, because it is much more kind of radical and progressive than Jane Eyre. And there are, you know, scholars have argued that there are ways that this particular novel, you know, that in Victorian times, there's only room for women to write so many different things and so many different kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so what gets transmitted as far as what continues to be published is like Jane Eyre. We're we're good with that one. We, she doesn't need to have written a whole other book. Right. Um, and for a long time, Valette was out of print. Like, that's why you haven't heard of it. You could go to the library. You could read Jane Eyre, love it, want to know what else is out there. And all you see on the shelf is Jane Eyre and then Wuthering Heights, her sister's book, sitting right next to it. And that's it. Um, and so that's part of why you haven't heard of it. And the other thing, I'll, every now and then people will come up with, like, unfilmable novels. Uh, you know, those lists of like, sure. you can't possibly make a movie of this. And Bolette is often on that list mm. because it is so internal. Because Lucy is a withholding uh, storyteller and so much of what happens, like she's not the kind of person who just is like, this is how I feel. Um, there's so much that she's purposefully like keeping really close to her. And, and so much that happens like in her brilliant mind that I think a lot of people think, oh, how how would you show that? Mm. Um, but I felt there are certain characters in this novel who are demanding to be seen, to be brought to life, because they are so dynamic and so interesting and so different from any other character you've seen. But I was like, it's worth it to try for people to get to see Lucy, to meet Monsieur Paul, to, to meet Ginevra Fanshawe who is exactly the character who would have the name Ginevra Fanshawe. Um, and I think theater isn't, it. there are opportunities, especially at a place like Looking Glass, like that's what we do is find ways to show, to, to, to visualize and physicalize emotion and thought. Um, so to to me, I I was I love this novel. I love this novel so much, and I I was ready for the challenge. And I thought if anyone can do it, I think Looking Glass can do it. Uh, hello, my name is Jasper Ford, and I'm the author of the Thursday Next series of books, and also the Nursery Crime series of books. And you're listening to the Reduce Shakespeare podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? In about two weeks, we'll be performing the complete history of comedy abridged in Indiana and Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Then in April, we'll perform the complete history of comedy abridged in Reston, Virginia on, appropriately enough, April Fool's Day. 
then at the McCarter Theater in Princeton, New Jersey on April 8th, then Basalt and Lone Tree, Colorado later that month. Check out the touring page at our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, or our Twitter feed at Reduced, or our Facebook page for the latest information. Now back to my conversation with playwright Sarah Gemitter, whose adaptation of Charlotte Bronte's Villette begins performances this week at Chicago's Looking Glass Theater. Was there a challenge finding um, Bronte's voice in this novel, or was there a greater challenge in in visualizing it, finding a theatrical vocabulary to to match Lucy Snow's narration? I, I think a, a little bit of both. Bronte's voice is amazing, and it is it's a voice that I I love. That very like rich, just. I think I think very theatrical kind of Shakespearean lush language. Um, but there I'm I feel that way about it. Not everybody feels that way about it. Some people find it impenetrable. Um, and so there there's a, a balance. I've been calling it like a, a proprietary blend mm. of Bronte and me kind of pulling out like what are the essential things and why is she saying why is it important that she say this in this particular way and does every character need to to sound like that or can some characters would some characters express themselves a little bit differently and do i pull some more of the that victorian language out of their speech and make them a little bit more plain um so that was definitely a challenge and then absolutely the, the theatricality, you know, as a playwright, you know, we can sit down and type anything um, and, and imagine, you know, I went through all kinds of imaginings of like what the staging of this would look like. But I am definitely a writer who has no uh, designs upon being a director. I I welcome directors and set designers and lighting designers and costume designers, sound designers to fill out that whole picture. And so I put some ideas and thoughts in the script of like, there are these moments where we have to know what Lucy is feeling and she will not tell us, we must show them. Um, and so here's an idea, but bring it everyone. Tell me, tell me how you think we can show this. And so, you know, we are developing in rehearsal our own uh, language and really in collaboration with the designers of how are we bringing these feeling moments onto the stage. And I said from the beginning, I was like, I am not going to be precious about words. If there are moments that are happening on stage and we see it and nobody has to talk about it, I'll cut those lines right now. <laughs> um, I'm so happy to like pull language out where it's possible and have us see, you know, that, see the magic of theater showing us those feelings that that she doesn't want to tell us or that she doesn't want to like find the words for. Well, would you call Lucy an unreliable narrator or oh. just a choosy one? Like, like any writer, you know, I'm going to tell you this, but not this. I, hmm, that's a good question, a good distinction. Is she choosy, or is she merely unreliable, or is she choosy? I would say she's definitely choosy, because there are, there are reasons why she doesn't tell us the things that she doesn't tell us. And some of that is, like, it's really, some of the things she chooses not to tell us are the really hard things that, that, 
you sense like, well, it would be painful to talk about that. So I'm not going to. Right. And I don't um, owe you a goddamn thing. <laughs> exactly. And it's, I find it, it's, it's really interesting, especially more towards the beginning before she has developed this relationship. And that's something I really wanted to explore in the play too, of like, at this moment, you all just sat down in your seats. You've still got programs in your hands. I'm not going to you know, unfold my whole life story to you right this moment. We got to get to know each other first. And as, and, and so kind of tracking the relationship over the course of the, of the evening of like, oh, now she, she trusts them enough. She'll tell them this difficult thing. And now she trusts them enough. She will actually tell them this part. And now this part that she was withholding, that she didn't tell us about it when it was happening. Now she feels like, okay, now you can know that thing from before, because now it will make sense to you and we'll have a context. Um, and then quite quite famous, I mean, famously for a novel that very few people have read, <laughs> the, the ending is left a little bit like up to the audience, a little bit like not choose your own adventure, but you choose what kind of story you want this to be. If you feel like you need a happy ending, then let me stop right here and you imagine how it ends. I'll go a little further for people who want, you know, something else. And I, I love that, that she does that as kind of a gift of like, I don't want to make you real sad if you're not in the mood to be real sad. I can't wait to see this because I'm choosing to interpret everything you've told me as a wonderful opportunity to see a writer doing something she's not known for. Like mm. we always, oh, we have our Bronte. We don't need Villette. You know, we have Jane and, and, and playwrights a playwright. That happens to us too, right? Oh, well, you're known for writing this kind of thing. We don't need to see you attempt to do something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so this seems like a a, a triumph for both for Bronte and Gemitter. Well, I hope so. I'm, and I mean, honestly, if the thing that comes out of this is that some more people read Valette and say, "Whoa, where has this book been my whole entire life?" Then uh, that to me is part of why I wanted to make it a play. You know, it's so fun. We we write adaptations, and I used to joke that. We we write an adaptation because we found something that we love so much we want to make it something else. Right. You want to make it come alive in a different medium. Yeah. It's like, oh, I love this as a novel, and that's not enough. I want to make it the thing that I know how to make it be. And I want to put myself in it. Like that's how much I love it. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Comedy Podcast, except for one more thing, which I'll share with you in about 60 seconds, so stick around. Sarah Gemitter's adaptation of Charlotte Bronte's Villette begins performances this week and runs through April 23, 2023. Go to lookingglasstheater.org for more information. Then send us your audience interactions via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com or throw a comment to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or on our own actual website, ReducedShakespeare.com, or visit my website, TheShakespeareance.com. Thanks, as always, to hero of his own story, Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and GarageBand. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Elaine Bradley. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Jasper Ford, the author of the spectacular Bronte fan fiction known as The Air Affair. 
And as always, thanks very much to you for listening. Please continue to stay safe, get your boosters, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 843 2529ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. So I, I hope that, uh, you know, someone sees this and then they read the book and then they're like, I'm going to make a movie of Valette because that's what I can bring to the story. I hope that person also calls me, by the way. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to reduce for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.